Humans are storytellers. During our species time on Earth, countless myths have been born, endless legends spun. Folk tales, fables, and fairy tales are among the most enduring examples of our capacity for storytelling. In the distant future, when humanity has established itself firmly as an interplanetary species, what tales might have emerged along the way? What stories might Martian settlers tell each other during long, cold nights on the Red Planet? What myths might arise as humans spread across the solar system and eventually reach for the stars? This is Space Age Folk Tales. In today's episode, we will be exploring a story called The Fairy in the Rocks. The author of this fable is unknown, but it is thought to have emerged in the Martian city of Adamsville sometime around the year 2320. The story describes events purported to have taken place over a century and a half earlier in another city halfway across the planet. It remains a well-studied example of Martian folklore. Folklore in the Space Age takes many forms, but at least some myths owe obvious debts to the legends of Earth. Among them is the belief in mythical little people that emerged among Martian colonists in the early 24th century, apparently springing from ancient Earth myths about the very same. An excerpt from a 2331 poem by one Tom Miller, reads, Across the rocky highlands, among the empty seas, the little men are hiding, away from you and me. They do not want for spacesuits. They have no need of air. They, breathless, hide among the rocks, and make their living there. Even as humans ventured into the void between planets and left their homeworld behind, it seems they took a part of the old legends with them. This is the story of the fairy in the rocks. Author unknown. In the glass-domed colonies near the edge of Meridiani Planum, within the city of Opportunity, so named for an ancient metal explorer who once roamed those very plains. There lived an old man by the name of Spark Collins. Mr. Collins was a man who had lived many years, and he had left Earth for Mars with his parents when he was only a young child. As a result, he had very little memory of the planet on which he had been born, save for a few faint and almost imperceptible recollections from his very early childhood. He thought he recalled running through the long grass with his father, and although Mars at the time already had an abundance of grass beneath the domes that dotted its surface, Mr. Collins thought he could still remember falling on his back in the grass on Earth, and staring up at the big blue sky above him as the wind blew around him. Now, Mr. Collins had often dreamed of going back to Earth, but he was hardly older than the cities on Mars themselves, and in his youth, 
no one had been able to go back to Earth, seeing as there was much work to be done, and it was still very expensive to hurl ships between the two planets. It wouldn't be much good to anyone, the thinking went, to waste fuel and resources on shipping someone back to Earth without reason. As he had grown older, and as the cities had grown larger, some had indeed made the journey back to humanity's homeworld, but only the very rich. And Mr. Collins' dream of returning to Earth had faded with time anyway. All he knew of it came from the screens within the walls of his home city, along with the dim shadow of a memory. And the images on the screens weren't very much like his memory anyway. They showed cities with skies darkened by clouds of smoke, forests choked by rivers of waste, streets overrun with desperate people who didn't have what they needed to survive. So Mr. Collins began to forget about Earth, and when he did think of it, he usually only thought of the terrible images on the screens. Every once in a while, when he was in a happier mood, his childhood memory would come back to him and spur in him a longing to return to Earth, but he always dismissed those thoughts as a mere fantasy, a distraction from the constant battle to keep his community alive on the surface of a hostile planet, and an unachievable dream besides. And so he forgot again, going about his business, toiling in the vents and reactors, and making sure his community had enough air to breathe, and enough power to function. Even as an old man, he continued to toil, for Mars was a much more dangerous place in those days, and workers were scarce. One day, as he was walking near the edge of the settlement and trying to see if he could spot Deimos in the ruddy sky, a man came up to him and informed him that his service was needed outside near the East Reactor, for it was giving faulty readings and required examination. Mr. Collins immediately donned a spacesuit and left the shelter of the domed city behind, riding in a service rover to the edge of the East Reactor, where he disembarked and began to examine it for faults. He quickly discovered the source of the problem, a small group of wires that had begun to wear out. With a prayer of thanks that the problem lay merely in the reactor's communication with the city energy department's central computers and did not involve the reactor itself, Mr. Collins returned to his rover and was preparing to enter the domed city once more when he spotted a flash of movement among a field of rocks some distance from the reactor, which was itself some distance from the inhabited parts of the city. Mr. Collins watched for a moment and was just about to turn away, thinking it had been a mere stirring of his imagination, when he spotted, once again, a blur of movement, the cause of which he could not make out. Fearful that some part of his oxygen system had begun to fail and cause his mind to be tricked, he checked every dial and valve on his suit, but he found no sign that such a malfunction had occurred. Secure in the knowledge that the reactor's fault was no threat to any of the city's inhabitants, Mr. Collins mounted his rover once more and drove to the field of rocks where he had seen the movement, wondering aloud to himself what might have caused it for everyone knew that nothing could survive on the bleak and open surface of Mars without a spacesuit, and none of the rocks before him were large enough to conceal a human form. He knew it could not have been a dust devil or anything of the like, for he had seen every such formation on Mars' great red surface, and this movement had more resembled the movement of a living thing 
than the stirring of a dust storm. Seeing nothing, Mr. Collins was just about to give up and return to the domed city, certain that he had been fooled by some trick of the eye, when all of a sudden, a little man danced out from behind a small boulder, as though he had been crouching there. He did not even stand as high as Mr. Collins' knee, and he bore no spacesuit, but rather a dark green tunic, and pants of a slightly lighter shade. Upon his head he wore an old brown hat with a dusty white feather sticking out from its brim, and his twinkling blue eyes sat above a diminutive nose and a smiling mouth upon his youthful face. Mr. Collins was in such shock upon seeing the sprite that he nearly toppled backward onto his rover, and upon regaining his composure, he found himself speaking to the elfin creature, although it seemed impossible that it should have heard him as he was clad in a spacesuit, while it was standing upon the rusty soil in clothing more fit for a forest than a Martian plain. What are you? Mr. Collins exclaimed to the creature. What does it matter to you? asked the pixie in rather a rude tone of voice, and though his ears and the rest of his body were covered by layers of mylar and other such materials to protect him from the harshness of the Martian clime, Mr. Collins heard the little man as clearly as though they were standing within the domed city together. Uh, forgive my frank demeanor, said Mr. Collins, realizing that the creature was an intelligent being like himself. It's just that I did not expect to see anyone standing out here, much less a little creature like yourself. Humph, said the sprite. I suppose you wouldn't, seeing as you spend all your time in those domes of yours. I'm afraid we have no choice, said Mr. Collins, for unlike you, we cannot survive the Martian air without protection. That is why we build domes, so that we may live in safety. And when we do venture outside, these spacesuits provide us with temporary protection, so that we can return to our domes without harm. Who says I am not protected as well? asked the imp. Before Mr. Collins could answer, the elf went on. But I understand why you rarely venture beyond the places you have made for yourself. This world does not belong to you, yet you have come here and planted yourselves upon its surface, insisting that it accommodate you. I suppose my people have done much the same, but I do prefer the place from whence we came, and I visit it often. Earth! exclaimed Mr. Collins, suddenly very excited for reasons he did not entirely comprehend. You live here? And yet you visit Earth? The fairy's eyes gleamed. Indeed, said he. But only in my mind, for it is very far away from here, and I cannot cross the distance in body. At this, Mr. Collins was filled with disappointment. Hopes he hadn't known he harbored began to crash down around him. Very well, said Mr. Collins. I suppose I have done much the same from time to time though I have tried to keep my focus on the place I am in now. I believe you misunderstand me, my friend, said the sprite. I visit Earth only in my mind, but the visit is no less real than if I were to leap off this little red planet and fly there. Would you like to see? I would very much, said Mr. Collins, who had no idea what he ought to expect. Within a moment's time... Mr. Collins found himself standing in a grassy clearing, 
cool air blowing against his skin. Earthy scents swirled around him, and he felt the sun beating down on his skin, much closer and brighter than it was on Mars. His spacesuit was gone, and tall trees surrounded him on all sides, jutting up from the ground like small mountains made from bark and leaves. The sound of a babbling brook filled Mr. Collins' ears, and he felt the earth all around him, at once a great spinning ball beneath him, and the dirt on which he was standing, and the cool air against his face, and the bright blue sky above him. He found himself lying on his back against the ground, blades of grass pressing into his back, and he began to laugh, tears streaming down his face and spilling off his cheeks to land among the grass and the soil. And then, suddenly, he was standing on a barren Martian plain, and the little man was nowhere to be seen. The uncomfortable, clammy warmth of his spacesuit bore down on him from all sides, and all he saw before him was an endless field of red rock and dust. Recycled air streamed into his helmet, and tears, no longer of joy, dripped from his eyes. And for one moment, he held his hands to his helmet, prepared to unclasp it and take one final breath, this one of Martian air that would fill his lungs with emptiness and bring his life to an end, as though it could possibly compare to the air of Earth, the air he had breathed once upon a time and just moments ago. At the last second, he turned back to his rover, releasing his grip on the helmet and nearly falling to his knees as a tremor swept through his body. His vision was still blurry, but he found his seat and was able to drive back to the city without incident. Once he had entered, he shed his spacesuit and looked around. No trees, mighty and full of life, rose up around him, only the gently sloping walls of the dome, at once protecting him from the fury of Mars and keeping him trapped. No brooks babbled nearby. Only the soft hum of the wiring in the walls filled his ears. Mr. Collins took some time to collect himself. And once he had done so, he went about fixing the problem with the reactor's connection to the city's central computers. As he traveled back out upon his rover, he searched the rocks with his eyes, but he saw no sign of the little man. After he had completed his task, Mr. Collins went to the library to look at pictures from Earth, but wherever he looked, he saw nothing but poison-choked skies, rivers flooded with waste, and forests torn down to make room for steel and concrete. He found a few images of natural beauty, but most of them had some impure element within their frame. Images of clearings in the forest were tainted by the tree's sickly appearance and the brown tint of the grass. Pictures of wildlife always showed at least one animal with the appearance of starvation or illness. There were fewer images available than Mr. Collins would have expected, and none of them told the story of Earth as he knew it. The story of an Earth filled with natural beauty, an Earth with babbling brooks and peaceful meadows and clear blue skies. Every image and piece of news from Earth told of a sickly, war-torn planet that was destroying itself, choking on pollution and death. And yet Mr. Collins knew there was more to it than that. 
He had seen it with his own eyes. He had breathed the fresh air, heard the contented chirping of birds in the trees, felt the soft touch of the breeze on his face. That paradise still existed somewhere on Earth. He knew it. And yet, he had been cut off from it forever. And whenever he thought of that truth, he found himself nearly driven to tears once more. Mr. Collins himself became very ill shortly after all these things had taken place, and he passed away shortly after that, but not before telling his story to all who would listen. Most didn't believe the tale, whispering to one another that it was merely a delusion dreamt up by a sick old man, and many of those who repeated it received stern warnings from the authorities in the city for spreading superstition. Even so, there were some who believed Mr. Collins' tale of little men among the Martian hills, and there had been whisperings of such things in the past. Similar rumors persist even to this day, and talk of the little men can still be heard among the people of opportunity, and in many of the cities all across Mars. Thank you for listening to this episode of Space Age Folk Tales. If you enjoyed it, please leave a rating and a review. Be sure to check out our social media accounts, which are linked in the description. Also be sure to check the description to see where I got the sound effects and music I used in this episode. Thanks again! <laughs>